Joining us now, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's a uh, it's a beautiful day. Uh, again, I know a lot of you have been doing a rain dance. And, yeah. Uh, well, so far it's been ineffective, but I have no doubt it was cute. So <laughs> there is that. And it's, oh, you know, I see swallows. When they finish nesting, they begin to gather in these pre-migratory groups on utility wires in late July, and they chatter excitedly about the gift of another day before they start a meeting without a single donut being involved, which is we all know is wrong, because that's why we have meetings, so we can have donuts. It's a migration planning session, so they're covering uh-huh. the ins and outs of air travel, what to do in case of a hawk emergency, and whether to eat dragonflies or ants for their next meal. The young stay with their parents during this diurnal migration undertaken by a flock, and they leave here. Oh, we have some of them that leave us in July and some in August, some in September. By October, most of them are gone. And why do they leave so early? Well, you know, they feed on flying insects, so they need to go so they can have food. And some swallows will fly as far as Argentina, so it's a long, long journey. I had uh, two wild turkey hens with 15 poults in our yard, and I see hens who have merged their families in the summer to raise and defend the poults. And uh, you who are members of a family or maybe know someone who is a member of a family, you recognize that Teamwork aids the survival of youngsters, especially those youngsters who can fly at 10 days of age. And I have seen a wild turkey hen mother will fake a broken wing to distract predators from her poults. We think of killdeer as the one that uh, they're famed for doing that. But wild turkey moms will do that, too. They say, why would you want that little just that tiny little pole twin. Look at this. This is a, this is a meal right here. I heard from Jenna Kaufman. She said the wrens have been especially lovely to hear. However, the kids have been interested in ravens lately and look for them often when we're out and about. My understanding is it's unlikely to spot one in our area. However, we are heading to the North Shore this August, and they're curious what their chances are on spotting one there and where the best places would be to catch a glimpse. I would, uh, boy, I would, it's great to hear from you, Jenna. I would say you're going to see ravens. And uh, Grand Marais, Gunflint Trail, Gooseberry Falls, uh, just uh, look, the roadsides along Highway 61 from Duluth to Grand Marais often offer clear views of both crows and ravens scavenging on roadkill. So you are going to see them. Uh, if you see them in the air, raven tails come to a V in flight, like the V in raven, uh, and crows do not do that. Uh, crows caw, ravens croak. Ravens are much larger than crows, and their bills are much bigger so you will see them from the outskirts of town to landfills to deep woods, Jen. And I'll keep my fingers crossed just to be on the safe side. Dean Musing says, Al, on my walk earlier today, I saw a glistening on the asphalt trail I was walking on. 
As I looked closer, it appeared they were dragonfly wings. I do know that many birds eat dragonflies, but why were there so many on the path? The easy answer that the birds were eating them there. Have you seen or heard this before? Uh, what a cool discovery. It was, oh boy, Dean, I bet it was 10 years ago. Someone sent me a photo, and of course I can't lay my hands on it, but or my fingers or my digital devices on it, of her hands, and they were filled with dragonfly or damselfly wings. I have watched swallows, purple martins, great crested flycatchers, kingbirds, nighthawks, and phoebes eat dragonflies. They eat them wings and all when I watch them. Maybe if they're if they're just not that famished, they would lop off the wings. I don't know. When I see them, they eat everything. I've even seen tiny little house wrens eat damselflies, and they eat the wings too. Kestrels are known for their amazing appetite for dragonflies. But I've seen dragonflies remove the wings from the damselflies, butterflies, and other dragonflies they devour. Uh, I, maybe it's dragonflies. that It's a favorite place. Uh, they have favorite places that they hunt from and then favorite places where they eat. So I don't know if it's uh, near kind of a wet area where dragonflies might forage. Maybe that's what's going on there. I'd love to hear if you find something else. You know, if it's a bird, you would think there'd be a cavity or some kind of nest that would be around there. But I'm I'm going to go with dragonflies and uh, hope I'm right. Uh, Phil Sheridan, Rochester put out something. He was having sparrows pooping on his car in a carport. So he put up something called a Bird X Balcony Guard. Hmm. He said it really works for Rochester sparrows. And I I just uh, teased Phil a little bit earlier. I said, I don't think that would work on Heartland sparrows. Ours are pretty smart here. <laughs> it can be uh, AC or battery powered. He's using alkaline batteries. It sits on the roof of his car and has a motion sensor. So when activated, this red light comes on. It makes a slight chirp. He said, I went from removing bird poop three times a day to none for the past month. Whatever the explanation, I'm happy. And again, Bird X Balcony Guard uses quiet ultrasonic sounds to repel annoying birds from small outdoor areas around the home. And I have not seen any success, but I'm so happy that Phil has found some with that. And I've not tried Bird X Balcony Guard, but there's a number of things out there. Well, you know, they, they sell those things for mice, too, to, to get rid of rodents and things that you plug them in and they're supposed to emit some high-pitched sound or some sort of sound or something. And I don't believe that those really work either, do they? Because my uncle, I know, he bought a bunch and I think I, we saw just as many mice around it. Uh, those things are sort of why do they say if they work they don't really I work? don't know how yeah I don't know how you can get by I know the University of Nebraska did a bunch of tests on them and found that they were useless uh, there were several colleges that did that mm-hmm. and I don't know how they can keep advertising yeah. the way they do I guess it uh, it kind of saddens me that things like that just keep on going and there's so many things like that i think if yeah i don't know how late night tv is anymore but they used to be just filled with all these (laughs) outrageous things that they would say oh it works and then they'd have some poor guy like me on there saying yeah i guess i guess it works and so then everybody's buying it and 
uh, it's, I don't know. Hey, speaking of rodents, I've noticed a lot more activity around the gardens with little uh, rodents. I, I don't know if they're moles or mice, or I'm not really sure. They're little, little guys, real little guys. And so I started putting out traps. I actually stepped on one and squished it. You know, it was I was apparently faster than it. But what's the deal? Why are they coming out now? Is it the, the drought affecting them, or why am I seeing them out and about? Because normally they are pretty hidden. Yeah, it's... Uh... We have a lot of young ones. You know, rodents are forever producing the next generation. Mm -hmm. So we'll have a lot of them out. So they're exploring the the new world and trying to find what's going on there. And, you know, water. Roger Davidson sent me something from the Washington Post, and it said in this heat wave, it was from uh, Phoenix. They said in this heat wave, pretty much every bird, bunny, squirrel, or raccoon that arrives at this shelter, and it was called uh, Liberty Wildlife, I believe. And everyone that arrives is dehydrated and receives fluids from staff members. And they have Arizona, and again, this is Arizona, not Minnesota. But they have Arizona wildlife officials are delivering water throughout the state by truck and helicopter for wild animals. Wow. And this shelter has been asked, They've asked the public to put out clean, shallow bowls of water to help birds find find water. And owls are making evening visits to swimming pools, so that'd be quite a thing, having your swimming pool and having owls in it. Uh, it's bad enough when relatives are in there, and then you got <laughs> owls, too. Uh, quail families are bathing in backyard fountains, and uh, residents turned in a group of baby sparrows that huddled under a dog's water bowl. Oh. And this Liberty Wildlife, it's just, uh, oh, it's south of Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. And it's a bustling modern hospital with x-ray and surgery suites, triage and intensive care units. And Laura Hackett, who's the shelter's wildlife biologist, said the warming climate has not only made extreme temperatures more common, but also extended the breeding season for some species of birds. She has noticed how barn owls, doves, and other species are having babies twice and three times per year as the winters are get milder and warm temperatures last longer. So we are not like Phoenix, but, you know, we're hot and we're dry. So uh, things are probably getting out and looking around, you know, and my tomatoes, they're stuff that love like little chipmunks. (laughs) They will bite the bottom of that tomato and just drink the tomato juice. Really? Yep, they uh don't eat much of the tomato, but boy, they love tomato juice. So then you look out and here's this little chipmunk with its red chipmunk lips like it's put on (laughs) lipstick or something there and saying, boy, thanks, that that really hit the spot. So so there's a lot of movement when you got the young ones out there. They're all going around trying to find where their place in the world is and what they can eat and what they can't eat. And uh, sadly for us, uh, sometimes it's our garden produce. So... I have a, a question related to the, the the rodents and things like that. So are are they? I mean, so this is not unusual. And is there something we should do to put water out for the maybe the rodents or the birds or things like that that might be suffering this time of year because of all this heat? Or what do you recommend? I I certainly put out. Uh, 
I put out water, and I put it out primarily, well, for my garden. I put right. a lot of water on there. But otherwise, I put it out for uh, birds. Like and a bird bowl bath. or just a bird bath, or what do you do? I have a heated dog food dish, so I can use it in the wintertime. Ah. So it's uh, it's metal, and it's just great. And I put a rock in it. And so they just have a place to perch while they're drinking. And uh, I just looked out a few minutes ago, and there were Orioles and uh, Robins and Gray Catbirds, Blue Jays. Oh, I can't remember what else. We're all taking baths Hmm. in that water and, of course, drinking while they do that, too. They're a little different than us. Uh, They drink their bath water, which is fine if you're into that sort of thing, but I'm probably not going to start doing that. (laughs) Will the heat Uh, be killing anything, do you know? I mean, uh, are we going to be losing any wildlife, birds, or anything like that, or are they pretty well adapted? You know, it, it certainly could weaken uh, birds and, and mammals. And uh, as an old farm boy, I remember a pig at the fair. It wasn't our pig, but died. Mm. Uh, you know, at fairs, they try to spray water on the pigs because they seem to be susceptible. Because some of them are, this was like the world's largest pig. It oh. was just gigantic. So uh, heat put a lot of stress on it. So it will put stress on them if they have other problems, uh, health or injury. You know, it could certainly help lead to the demise, kind of combine with other problems and take an animal down, sadly. Uh, Jerry Victor of Allendale says he has two gangs of wild turkey poults in his yard. Oh, Bob Smith called, and he's from New Richland. Uh, Bob is a sheep shearer extraordinaire. Uh, He had a green heron in his yard. Uh, Green herons, they're carnivorous. They eat mainly fish and invertebrates. They're the ones that they are fisher birds in that they will catch an insect, drop it on the water, and then wait for a fish to come up to get that insect, and then they eat the fish. They'll also pluck out a feather on occasion, I guess, if they can't find an insect, put that on the water, hope That'll attract a fish and get them. And they will eat almost anything they can capture. So they would eat leeches, mm, earthworms, dragonflies, damselflies, water bugs, grasshoppers, crayfish, minnows, sunfish, catfish, perch, eels where there are eels. And there's a place in Albert Lee we used to call Goldfish Creek when I was a kid. And because people would... let their goldfish go. So Uh-oh. there were so many goldfish in this one area, the water looked gold. And the green herons loved that because I guess goldfish just weren't real sharp as far as <laughs> escaping. So they would just eat goldfish like crazy. And one of the things Bob said that he, uh, oh, they also eat rodents, lizards, frogs, tadpoles, snakes. But Bob said his wife, Doreen, had seen this bird fighting with a robin. And I'm guessing the heron, would they eat a bird? I have no doubt they would probably. It's not a main part of their diet, but why wouldn't they eat a bird? They eat everything else. And it was fighting with this robin. And I would guess that the robin, it got too close to the robin's nest, and robins are really protective. So the robin just said, hey, that's it, buddy. So they went to went to battle. 
And they, uh, Bob is also seeing red-headed woodpeckers, which is really cool. Uh, Tom Jessen, our good friend TJ from St. Peter, said, he, I went back out to count the number of cliff swallow nests on the Highway 22 bridge by St. Peter. On the south side, there were 750. Wow. On the north side, there were 830. That makes a total of 1,580, give or take a dozen or so. And he sent some photos along. So thanks, TJ. Um, Karen, your husband took a photo <laughs> of a cicada killer wasp. With much difficulty. Sit- I was sitting there watering the shrubs, and I this thing kept buzzing me. And I thought, what in the world? And then I w- could have swore that it must have been one of those African and hornet uh, killer bees because it looked it was huge and it had these bright uh, yellowish and black stripes and I said to my husband I think there's a killer bee here I'm gonna die (laughs) (laughs) and he says wait let me get my camera I'll try and get a picture and oh it took him a long time before the thing uh, would actually land for more than a second and he took this picture and I I googled it I figured I could have asked you first but I googled it and it is a cicada killer wasp and yep. it says generally, I mean, while it looked very scary, like a killer bee, which I don't know if they're similar size or not, but um, apparently they don't usually harm humans, though, do they? They don't. And the ones that are usually buzzing in our face, my wife and I stood in a, oh, a, a floral area where they'd planted it in a city. And so it had uh, just the right open ground, kind of sandy ground. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a perfect place for cicada killers to lay their eggs. And they were just buzzing all around us. And, of course, people were walking by and saying, are you nuts? You know, those <laughs> things are going to they're gonna kill you in there. And I said, no. Nah. The males would come up and they'll get in your face saying, buzz off, pal. This is where, this is my territory. But they cannot, they don't have a stinger, so they can't even sting. So theirs is oh, all really? just, they're just bluff. Oh. The females can sting things, and they oh. certainly do sting things because they, they sting cicadas and then drag them, throw them down this hole, and lay their eggs. So it's a paralyzed cicada with an egg in it. So it's like the, um, uh, the movie Aliens, that kind of thing is going on there. But, the, but they, the, they generally the say beautiful. don't kill them or anything because they're they're harmless, even though they look terrible or they look awfully scary. But they generally live in the ground, which I thought was interesting. So since I was weeding in that area, do you suppose maybe I was disturbing somebody's nest or something? No, they're hunting now because oh. you said you heard some cicadas. Yes, I did. Yeah, so that's what they're hunting. They come out when the cicadas are out, and that's what they uh, use for their nests. And that's uh, lay their eggs in a cicada. The females are much bigger than the males as far as cicada killer wasps go. So the uh, if you uh, if she lays a female egg, that'll have two, maybe sometimes three cicadas to feed on, and the male because he's so much smaller. If she lays a male egg or an egg that's going to become a male, he gets one cicada, and uh, so that's all she's interested in. And she will. I've watched them. The cicadas about the same size they are, so they get them and. They get up in the air, and then they fall to the ground, and then they drag it for a ways, and then go up in the air. and it, It's amazing, uh, the whole process. But then 
Yeah, they, and then they go down in the ground. So we see them usually July and August here, the cicada killers. And then we don't see them till next July and August when they come out of the ground and hunt cicadas once more. So given so the size of the one I took in the photo, do you think that was a female or a male? Because if it was much bigger than that, I would be really scared. That one did look like a female. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, they are uh, big, but uh, they're just, they seem to be, you know, they don't want to us because why would they they can't drag us and throw <laughs> us in a hole and lay an egg in our mouth so they just don't they don't want to deal with us they just, they're probably going I, I can't see him I can't see him and just uh, don't want to see us <laughs> well I got a note for a text from John in New Ulm he said I did catch a live cicada wasp I'm not sure why he caught it or what he did with it but he said he caught one and he said I heard a few cicadas but pretty silent lately and then he said Tony Bennett recently died I have a picture of his dad uh, with mm. Tony, so that's pretty cool. So, thanks, John. Everybody likes Tony Bennett, even if they don't like that kind of music. You know, yeah. it just he, he was good. Oh, Tim Scott sent me an article from the New York Times. It was written by Margaret Renkel, and she had written about wrens, and uh, she was uh, said that one of the eggs in the wren nest had been pierced almost certainly by a, a, uh, a another house wren that was coming in there in a dispute over territory and ants had taken over the box and she said something in there wrote something and i thought it was really cool she said when you are paying attention to nature you will always see something you don't want to see some workings of the great world that don't comport with your own taxonomies your own notions of justice. And, uh, yeah, I think that's so great. We just, uh, we see things and we say, oh, boy, that's not right. But, you know, it is right with, I guess, what's going on in nature. So thank you, Tim, for for sending that. I appreciate it very much. It was a wonderful article, and it's in um, boy, the last day or two of the New York Times. See, I got I, another text from our friend Jennifer, sure. who who always has a little bit of wit with her... <laughs> <laughs> with she her does. text. Yes. She says, hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about hummingbirds. Is it true that if their wings stop beating, they die? She says, if so, do they join the Mile High Club to make baby hummingbirds? How do they sit on their nests or sleep? Do they even have feet? Also, do hummingbirds eat anything besides nectar? Thank you, Jennifer. Hey, thank you, Jennifer. Yeah, hummingbirds, I guess if their wings would stop, they'd be goners because you wouldn't be able to get away. You'd just fall on the ground or a perch and something would get you. So they uh, certainly would die if they couldn't, uh, couldn't fly. As far as their nests are just so tiny, uh, and they make them out of spider webs and lichen, and I was leading a bird walk not too long ago. I was leading a couple bird walks, and I found the nest, a hummingbird nest. So I put a little uh, tiny ribbon on there. So that when the next group would come, I'd find it. It took me forever to find that nest, even with that ribbon, because uh, it was just so tiny. They're just amazing how small they are and then they will nest high sometimes luckily this one was maybe 15 20 feet high but some of them have been found 90 feet high in a tree so you try to find this tiny little nest high in a tree it's just about impossible to do their eggs as you might expect are so tiny Uh, they do have legs but they're not walkers oh 
Hmm. Uh, they they can perch, but for the most part, they just fly, and uh, they're uh, amazing flyers. Uh, they can fly up, down, back, forward. So they uh, they do well in life, I guess. But they're just you know, a bald eagle's nest, what, five feet wide, four feet deep, maybe, and then they keep adding to it each year, so some of them maybe get 10 feet across. A hummingbird nest is maybe a inch and a half in diameter, so if you think of, uh, what could I, a ping-pong ball, maybe a ping-pong ball would be pretty good. So you think about a ping-pong ball, it's about that size. So they're really hard to see because they're made out of lichen again and uh, spider web, so they blend right in with the bark of a tree. But that's that's really cool that you're seeing. As far as what they eat, they certainly do nectar, but they will eat... Uh, oh, I put out bananas sometimes and let them uh, just age, and you get those little fruit flies and things that come there. Hummingbirds will eat those. They'll eat little spiders. They'll eat a lot of tiny insects. So they, uh, they're just, and the females, I have to add this, the females do all the work. <laughs> the male does nothing. He's, he's the dad, and that's all. So, uh, after they mate, the female spend a few days building her nest. She'll lay two tiny eggs, each about the size of a jelly bean. And then she spends a couple weeks sitting on eggs, keep them warm and protected. And she'll just leave for a few minutes each hour to eat. And once hatched, then she must provide food for them, nectar, tiny insects, pollen. And she regurgitates it in her mouth. <clears throat> she can't spend too much time away from them because they cannot regulate their own body temperatures. So they depend on her to keep them warm. And then they start to develop their first real feathers by the end of their first week. And after three weeks or so, they're ready to leave the nest and start life on their own. And so depending on the species, some places they produce a second clutch of eggs. Uh, probably not quite so often here in Minnesota, but and then the ma- the little ones they're just gone. They don't you know they don't call. They don't send flowers to their mom or nothing. So, but <laughs> they're dead during beats. that whole that whole process, what does their dad do? Nothing. He's dead over beats. there defending <laughs> his flowers in his territory, fighting with other hummingbirds and telling them to get out of here. Or buzzing gardeners that are wearing red clothes, saying, "What are you doing?" So. Hey, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with us. The other day, you know, I was wondering if woodpeckers are obsessed with knock-knock jokes. You know, sometimes things hit you like that. I just I had to sit down and think about it. And then I noticed a Baltimore Oriole father showing three of his fledglings how to come clean in our birdbath. And two of them took to taking a dip like ducks to water. They just jumped in and splashed around and said, oh, this is this is amazing. But the third one, not so much. I'm guessing he's the youngest one. I'm the youngest of the family. I know how that works. You just say, I don't know. Pa left with the two swimmers. They just preened and away they all went. But the one with the dry feathers, he stayed behind, probably looking for a snorkel or something. And he watched as a blue jay and a robin, and then a catbird took their turns in the water. He's over there just watching them. They 
the other birds would land on the perching stone and they'd splash around. And the hesitant Oriole made a half dozen attempts before he finally landed on the stone. And the bird, the Oriole, he touched one foot in the water and he frightened himself away. It just, you know, folks, uh, life is challenging, so no spot on the metal podium for that Oriole. I'll save my applause for another time. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, remember, Heartless, while we're driving past, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always. I hope you have a grand day, and thank you for being kind to the cicada killer wasps. they got a lot of work to do. <laughs> thank you, Al. It's always great to hear from you, and stay cool. Will do. All bye right, bye-bye.